Well, the scripture this morning is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. So if you can stand for the reading of God's word. As he went along, this is Jesus going along. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing the word of the Lord. There's some things I'm not going to touch on particularly in this passage. So let me, uh, well, first of all, let me explain. Uh, Leading up to Easter, I'm going to be doing a series um, that will explore the before and after difference that Jesus makes. But then Jesus came and something changed. That's the idea here. Um, So Jesus encounters people. Um, He enters their story, and their lives end up going in a completely different direction. But uh, here in verse 6, it talks about Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with a saliva, and put it on the guy's eyes, and we're thinking, yuck. But uh, remember that Jesus was uh, often referred to as rabbi, Remember that? If you read the New Testament scriptures, he's referred to as rabbi. They believed that the saliva of the rabbis had healing power. So to them, to have Jesus spit and make mud and put it on the guy's eyes, to them that wasn't yuck at all. That was good news. Just wanted you to know that. All right? Thinking, why would Jesus... Heal the man this way. But there was a lot, lot behind that. <clears throat> a blind man. You know, there's more than one type of blindness. <clears throat> and um, some kinds of blindness actually have nothing to do with the eyes. Um, I found this article. It's entitled Intentional Blindness in Psychology by Kendra Cherry. And it's from the... Uh, website verywellmind.com, and it says this, it's logical to think that you see whenever your eyes are open. But the reality is that attention plays a major role in visual perception. One of the primary reasons why you may fail to notice things like obvious bloopers in movies, for example, is a psychological phenomenon known as intentional blindness. When you focus hard on one thing, such as the actions of the main character in a film, you might not notice unexpected things entering your visual field. 
The term intentional blindness was first coined by psychologists Arian Mack, Ph.D., and Irvin Rock, Ph.D., who observed the phenomena during their perception and attention experiments. <clears throat> because this inability to perceive this sighted blindness seemed to be caused by the fact that subjects were not attending to the stimulus, but instead were attending to something else, we labeled this phenomena intentional blindness, they explained. One of the best known experiments demonstrating intentional blindness is the invisible gorilla test carried out by Christopher Chabris, Ph.D., and Daniel Simmons, Ph.D. In this experiment, researchers asked participants to watch a video of people tossing a basketball, and the observers were told to count the number of passes or keep track of the number of throws versus bounce passes. So we've got a job to do here. Afterwards, after viewing this video and trying to uh, do their assignment, the participants were asked if they noticed anything unusual while watching the video. In most of the tests, approximately 50% of the participants reported seeing nothing unusual or out of the ordinary. But in reality, something odd had happened. In some instances, a woman dressed in a gorilla suit strolled through the scene, turned to face the camera, thumped her chest, and walked away. While it may seem impossible that the participants missed such a sight, since their attention was focused elsewhere and on a demanding task, the gorilla basically became invisible. Not a problem with the eyes per se, but with the attention. So we know that there are blindnesses that have nothing to do with the eyes. And in, we have that demonstrated in this passage of Scripture. A blindness that had nothing to do with the eyes. And we can have that blindness ourselves. It leads us to miss things that should be perfectly clear, but sometimes blindness has to do more with our heart than with our eyes. This blindness causes us to miss God when He is right there in front of us. Today we'll look at the story of a blind man who was ironically the only person in the story who actually saw clearly. Everyone else had a form of blindness that was maybe far worse than his. And the first people to speak in this story are Jesus' disciples. And what they, see, what they say reveals a preconceived notion about God that Jesus has to correct. We might say, and this is our first point, the disciples had religious blindness. Religious blindness is when you have an idea about God that you're so sure is right that you don't see the truth when you're confronted with it. A preconceived notion about God. The disciples reveal their blindness when they ask this question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're saying, God, what horrible thing did this man do to deserve this blindness? Or what awful thing did, this, did parents do for their son to be afflicted this way? 
the disciples reveal their assumptions about what God is like. By assuming that if someone has an affliction, then surely it's because God is punishing them. That's their assumption. In this way, it, we're kind of making God like the, the, the idea of karma. See, that's what karma says. You do something bad, something bad happens to you. You do something bad in this life, when you die, you come back as a rat or a fly. Or And we see this view kind of creeping to the surface all the time. You know, um, remember the, the big hurricane that just happened and uh, this past year, and it wiped out the Bahamas and Puerto Rico, and there's always... Uh, someone out there who pop, and, pop up and say, oh, God was punishing those people for their sin. Now, we need to be clear about something. There are plenty of places in Scripture where God controls nature and plenty of places where God judges sin. But that's really not what is at issue here. The problem is when we read about what God does in the Bible in one situation, then we assume that God does the same thing in every situation. We think God is kind of predictable that way. That's like saying, well, God sent hail on Egypt in the book of Exodus, therefore every hailstorm must be God's judgment of sin. It's kind of the line of logic we would follow there, right? And I, that's a leap, I think, that the Bible doesn't require us to make. It, but it's what religious blindness can do. It tries to force God into a system that, well, that seems reasonable to me. So religious, religious blindness thinks it has mastered God. We've got him figured out. We know what God's going to do. We all have preconceived notions about God. In a way, we probably all have religious blindness in some ways. Some thinks, some people think, well, you know, every bad storm that happens out there is God's punishment for thin, sin. And other people think, well, nobody sins, so God never punishes people for sin. We've got this broad spectrum of blindness about how God works. Either way, we all have a tendency to see God in a way that usually ends up reflecting our own preferences. Okay? So the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? Clearly, if he's blind, this must be God's judgment on him. They worked God into a system that Jesus was going to have to dismantle. Jesus says to his disciples, no, you've got this all wrong. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happens so that God's works might be displayed. God's about to do something pretty special here. You think, you think God is about punishing, but really he's about healing. Now stand back and watch what's going to happen. And we can't miss some of the subtle, subtle things happening in this passage. See, the most important thing is not that a blind man was healed. 
John wants us to see something else in this passage. I mean, not that it wasn't important that he was healed, but it may not have been the most important thing going on here because Jesus sends the man to the... He puts that stuff on his eyes. Remember the spit and the dirt and the mud? He sends him to the pool of Siloam, which John tells us means sent. Means sent. Why give us this translation? Why would, why would John bother with that? What's so important about the word sent? Well, John brings up this idea often. One of the, one of the most famous examples in, is in John 17 where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And here's what he says. John 17, verse 16. Speaking of his disciples, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And did you notice uh, there in verse 17, um, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then I have been sent and I am sending them. Now, that word sanctify can be um, tricky to translate sometimes because it can have a number of meanings. It, it can mean to make holy. It can mean to consecrate. It can mean to set, set apart. It can also mean to wash or cleanse. So Jesus is praying because he's sending, sending them, cleanse and send these disciples out. Cleanse or wash and send these disciples out. Now, let's come back to the blind man. Jesus tells him, go wash in the pool of scent. S-E-N-T. Not, not like those, do those flowers smell good? Oh, okay. Not that kind of scent. Like the go scent. Go wash in the pool of scent. And, and John likes this word. He uses the word 27 times in 21 chapters. Usually means, it usually means someone who is sent on behalf of God. He tells us that John the Baptist gets sent to testify about Jesus. Jesus is sent by the Father. Jesus sends the disciples. Everybody's getting sent. So Jesus tells the blind man, go wash in the pool of scent. And we need to understand that we're not just seeing a moment of healing here. We're seeing a moment of His sending. It was not just a healing service that the disciples were witness to that day. It was a commissioning service as Jesus sent this, set this man apart and sent him to testify to the truth. In fact, if you read a little later in, in the chapter, he has a chance to do that already. <clears throat> the disciples in their religious blindness were asking Jesus, what nasty thing did this guy do to be born blind? And Jesus' response is almost like he's saying, I'm about to realign your view of God. 
Not only am I going to heal this blind guy, I'm going to go ahead and send him to. God likes to use the, the least likely of people for the most holy purposes. Ta-da! You know, one of the, one of the cases, maybe one of my favorite instances in the life of Jesus is when he healed the man full of demons that lived in the graveyard. Remember that guy? Impossible case. Remember that? Impossible case. Nothing could be done with him. You couldn't even chain him up. He was a wild man. And my favorite line in that story is when the people of the city heard about what happened, that Jesus healed him, they came out and they found him fully clothed and in his right mind. I love that line. And he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, go home to the Decapolis, the ten cities, because he lived over on the other side of the lake in Gentile territory. Remember, the disciples, they were nervous about going there. They didn't like crossing the lake for one thing, especially when it's stormy. But to go to where the Gentiles were was really bad news, at least in their minds. Jesus heals this guy and he sends him to be a missionary in the ten cities. Who would have thought? Well, here's this blind man. Since birth. It's cool that his eyes were open. What's even cooler is he was sent. So God does these surprising things, doesn't he? The cure then for religious blindness. Study hard, humbly pray, and err toward grace. We need to study hard. We need to pour over the Bible's words until they start to read us. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't just read the words, but the words begin to read us. And it's hard to do when your typical engagement with the Scripture is no more comprehensive than a text you might send on your phone. It's got to go a little deeper than that. Right? Right? (laughs) A 2016 LifeWay study revealed that the majority of Christians who would say the Bible is their highest authority actually know stunningly little about it. In fact, this one is like, what? In fact, according to the study, if you have a question about certain basic Christian beliefs, statistically, you're better off Asking a random stranger than you are asking an evangelical Christian. Evangelicals actually performed worse than the general general population on certain questions of basic Christian belief. Man, no wonder we're ineffective. 
Well, the reason, well, the Bible's kind of become our lucky charm that we just keep here, you know, in the home. I've got the Word of God in my house. That'll ward off the devil, won't it? Something nice to have on our shelves, and maybe once in a while, you know, we can, I don't like to do this, but I know a lot of people do, you know, like to write in the margins and underline things. I always kind of hate, just, I don't like to mess up my Bible that way, but, you know, a lot of people do. My dad wrote all, wrote all over the place, and, and that's great. But, oh, we've got to be people of the Word. We've got to immerse ourselves in it. We've got to know it. Listen, how do you contend with a world that contradicts the truth in so many ways if you don't know what the truth is yourself? What would happen if the church, the church, would take up the scriptures again, immerse themselves in it daily, and let them pull us toward the heart of God? You know, if we do this right, with humble prayer, we will become people. If we immerse ourselves in the Scripture, if we pray about the Scripture, if we ask God to use that to enrich our lives, we will become people who are filled with grace and able to speak words of hope into the wounded hearts of the folks in our world. But you know what? The disciples weren't the only blind ones in this story. It doesn't take long before the religious leaders hear about the man who was healed. And since Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees automatically assume that he's a sinner. You can't be out there healing people on the Sabbath. So they set about trying to disprove the man's claims that he was blind and that Jesus had healed him. They even go so far as to bring his parents in just to make sure that he really was born blind. And the parents are scared of these guys. You know, they're the big dogs of the day. They're the, they've got power. Say, they say, yes, that's, that was, that's our son. Yes, he was born blind. No, we have no idea what happened. He's a grown-up boy. You ask him. That's basically what happened in that conversation. So they bring the man back in again, and that's where our blind man starts getting kind of smart with the Pharisees. You see, he's already sent. He's got a boldness now. A second time, they this is uh, of chapter 9, this is verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus, the guy who healed you. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Great testimony. Here's what Jesus did for me, Right? Who's going to argue with that? Although they tried to. Then they asked him, What did he do? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then 
do you want to be his disciples too? <laughs> they didn't like that very much. So they had, because they were religious, gracious guys, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Nice job. He's got a great start. See, there's a kind of blindness that's worse than religious blindness. It is where the truth is standing right there in front of you, but you do not see it simply because you choose not to. The Pharisees had willful blindness. The man, the man who was healed speaks plainly to them. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Unfortunately, the evidence wasn't enough because they were threatened by Jesus. See, the Pharisees really weren't seeing the before and after difference Jesus made in this man's life. And it wasn't because they didn't have enough evidence. It was because they ch simply chose not to see. Um, there's an article uh, or in a book, really, by a lady named Margaret Heffernan. It's called Willful Blindness. Why we ignore the obvious at our own peril. And she cites this, this um, instance or circumstance. She talks about meeting with a woman in Libby, Montana named Gayla Benefield. Gayla read utility meters on people's homes. And she noticed a high number of middle-aged men at home in the middle of the day, many of them on oxygen. She started to realize that something was wrong, so she began to investigate she knew her town had an, a vermiculite mine. Here's what she didn't know. That when vermiculite is mined, the ore often contains asbestos. And while all asbestos is harmful and can cause lung cancer and other diseases, the asbestos fiber usually found in vermiculite, it's called tremolite, is particularly dangerous. When she figured this out, she started telling everyone in town, but nobody wanted to know. Gayla Benefield was persistent in her research. It was finally validated by outside sources, but even then, people didn't want to hear it. They said, well, someone would have told us, or, or doctors would have said something. And they made all sorts of excuses, like, well, every... Every industry has issues or accidents. Eventually, a federal agency was convinced to come screen the inhabitants. They found that the mortality rate in that town was 80 times higher than the average. <clears throat> even when the town's feet, even then the townspeople refused to accept the facts. When they finally set up a, a clinic for those affected with asbestosis, 
the most vocal opponents would go in the back door for treatment so that they wouldn't be seen. Heffernan said, this phenomena is everywhere. It's in companies, it's in schools, it's in churches. Willful blindness is when there's information you could know and should know, but somehow manage not to know. And a lot of times it's because you don't want to. The Pharisees could have known, they should have known. All the evidence they needed was looking them right in the face, yet they did not know because they chose not to. They were willfully blind. And in a world where God is at work all around us, we can miss Him because of our own blindness. Is it possible that our modern minds are so used to believing that God works in only certain ways and in certain places that our eyes have grown blind to His activity around us? You know, we've begun doing prayer walks through our community on every other Saturday morning. As we go out, we need to have eyes that see God at work, even in places where you might not think God would ever be at work. Oswald Chambers said this, Do not look for God in a particular way, but do look for Him. The way to make room for Him is to expect Him to come, but not in a certain way. No matter how well we may know God, the great lesson to learn is that He may break in at any minute. So today, let's ask God to remove any blindness we might have. He wants us to recognize Him out there. He wants us to see where he is at work. He wants to send us. Are we willing to open our eyes? Are we willing to let God open our our eyes? Folks, if we're going to be effective in reaching our community for Jesus, we've got to have our eyes open to see where God's at work and to join him there. And sometimes God is at work in places that make us uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? But he's at work. Listen, I don't care who they are. If they don't need know Jesus, they need to be redeemed. And maybe it's in the homeless population. Maybe it's in a group of people who are here illegally. Maybe it's in this group we hear so much about in the news now, those who are struggling with their gender identity. Oh, really? Does God work there? He does. Are we willing to open our eyes? Pray with me. Thank you, Lord God, that you so loved us 
that you sent Jesus. It says, in fact, you so love the world. <laughs> That's everybody. That's people who don't look like us. That's people who don't think like us. That's people who are involved in things that, Lord, we just look at and we wonder, how can anyone go there? Those are people you love. And you work there because you so love the world, you want to redeem the world to yourself. And Father, if we're not able to have our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our religious eyes open enough, and God forbid that we would ever be willfully blind. I mean, to have the evidence of what you're doing right in front of our eyes and just choose not to believe it's happening. We absolutely do not want that to be us. But we don't want to be religiously blind either. We don't have, want to have these preconceived notions about you, these misconceptions. Oh, God would, well, God would never work in that way, or, <clears throat> or God would never be at work there. Open our eyes, Lord God. If, if, if we understand today as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that, you know what, I, I think I've got some spiritual blindness going on. And just like Jesus, you opened the eyes of your disciples that day to give them an understanding of something that they grossly misunderstood. We pray today that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes. Help us to see clearly. Help us to see you at work in places and in people. Where, God, you are desiring to do your work and you're calling us to join you there. Oh, God, we tell you that we want to win our community for Jesus. And I think when we say that, that we need to understand that you know, there are no, no real boundaries on that. Well, your community doesn't have to include this population or those folks or people that are doing this. God so loved the world. And open our eyes so that we too can love the world that you've called us to minister in. And Father, we ask these things today in the name of Jesus, who loved us enough to win win us to himself and to call us to go. And we give you thanks. Again, praying these things in Jesus' name. Amen.